Good afternoon. Happy Thursday. Um, welcome to the Healthy Indoors Live Show. I'm your host, Bob Krell. I'm founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors Magazine. And as always, it's great to have you here. Um, so we've got a great show today. Um, I always I say that every week, but you know we do have a great show today. I'm super excited about our guests. We'll get into that in a moment. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about where, where you're coming from and how you got here. Um, many of you are probably uh, familiar with our HealthyIndoors.com website. That's kind of our mothership. But um, you know we actually are live streaming here, and many of you are watching us now live on the Healthy Indoors online global community, which is our online. Uh, indoor environmental sustainability centric platform that uh, everybody should be part of. We really, uh, we do a lot of exciting things there. Just recently, we uh, started adding what we call our AMA Ask Me Anything series. Uh, with uh, Once a month, we do this for the members of our community and uh, we bring on, uh, you know, core subject matter experts. Uh, this uh, couple weeks back or a week and a half ago, we had uh, Jeff May was on and did that program with us. So that's uh, that's one of the benefits of being a member. Um, if you're not a member, hey, you should become a member today. So go to healthyindoors.global and uh, you can do that. So that's pretty exciting. Um, so today's topic, um, and we were really bouncing around trying to come up with what the title for the show is going to be, but you know, how will the new fed federal initiatives in the indoor environmental uh, aspect affect our, our industry? And by our industry, I collectively mean all the industries that are under the umbrella of indoor environments, right? It's one big tent. Um, we have, you know, we have HVAC, we've got IQ practitioners, we've got a lot of different uh, places we're coming from. So, uh, you know, uh, recently, uh, the, uh, the federal government, you know, both the White House and Congress enacted a few things. Uh, the Clean Air and Buildings Challenge uh, came out earlier this year in 2022. Um, we'll, we'll get into that document, and that's something that will drive some, uh, I think, some changes in the industry or could. And more recently, the uh, legislation, the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, has a lot of it in there for electrification and upgrades. And again, I think things that are going to have perhaps a, a pretty significant uh, impact on what's happening um, in our industry, or at least it certainly has the potential to be a pretty significant uh, impact. So um, we're, we're going to get right back uh, and introduce our guests. Brian Orr and Nate Adams are joining us today. Um, so we'll be back right after a word from our sponsors. Joining us today, um, first guest will be uh, Brian Orr. Brian is the co-owner of Kalo Services Incorporated. It's an Orlando area-based HVAC contracting business. He's also the host of the HVAC School podcast. He created HVAC School to be the free training for HVACR across many mediums for techs by techs. Uh, He's been a guest on our show a lot back in 2022 region, and uh, you know, really happy to have Brian back on. Also joining us will be Nate Adams. Nate Adams uh, has his new initiative. He's he's a 
first of all, a regular contributing editor for Healthy Indoors Magazine. But his uh, latest initiative is HVAC 2.0, and we'll talk to him a little bit about that in a bit. So I guess without further ado, it's uh, time to introduce our guys. Hey, how are you? Nate Bryant. Hey, thanks for having us, Bob. Uh, super like excited that. to have you both on because you're both uh, smarter than me, which which will, will make this an interesting show. <laughs> and I, I will I will tend to tease you know good questions out of you hopefully. Um, so I guess I guess the overview 2022. Do you think I mean there's there's some new stuff in the works, right? They, I mean, is is this a, a monumental year or is this the same kind of stuff we've heard in different forms over the years? You know, thoughts on that. You know, I was like, and anything new happening, or is it just? It's I don't know the the new refrigerants. I'm sure Brian has a lot of thoughts on because that's uh, I'm I'm kind of expecting first half next year to be, we'll just say interesting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so my take on it is, uh, as soon as we know what's up, like we know w what actions there are to take, then we'll know. And so, like, as an example of what Nate just brought up, what we're seeing with um, sort of the CR 2.0 standard and some of the effects that that's having on equipment, what we're seeing in, in terms of the energy efficiency standard changes with um, straight cool equipment, um, and then what we're seeing with refrigerants, those are all knowns. And so, yes, we've got a lot of stuff that we're working on um, that is going to be a major impact to our industry. Some of the stuff we're talking about today as far as you know, some of these new you know kind of White House initiatives, EPA initiatives, uh, I don't know. There's just so many questions, and there's plenty to talk about, but it's really hard to say what impacts these are going to have. I mean, I, I guess the, the first question would be for me is how how has this pandemic that we're still not totally out of, but you know, maybe it's calmed down a bit. Um, how has that affected the HVAC industry, and or has it has it affected the HVAC industry? <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if we've ever seen anything that's impacted it more. From my perspective, um, one of the first things that's been a, a massive um, change is just availability of products, and that has to do both with an increase in demand, which we've shown statistically, which not any no nobody anticipated that. Nobody anticipated that we were going to have a, a pandemic, and then demand was going to shrink. I mean, demand was going to increase significantly. A lot of us thought it was going to shrink, and then the manufacturing capabilities of the suppliers was impacted. Shipping was impacted, and so we've got this challenge right now where there's so many of these things that are coming down the pike as far as regulations, but we're just trying to get systems to serve our clients who are already asking for it. And so you have this conflict between this uh, tyranny of the urgent, which is how on earth do we even provide cool air and heating to our clients when we uh, often can't get the equipment that we need or the materials that we need or the parts that we need to repair them. And now we've got all these additional things that are layering on top, which are putting that that burden on manufacturing as well as contracting. Nate, what, what, what do you think? What have you uh, seen I, change in your world since uh, since the pandemic? Well, definitely a lot more focus on indoor air quality, but uh, uh, like the, the, the equipment availability has been pretty wild because, it, it, you know, the carrier green speed's long been my personal favorite piece of equipment, and it's very common amongst our contractors, uh, but you haven't been able to get it. So that's been really strange. Um, uh, it's just it, no, nothing has been very smooth in the last year and a half. And then on top of it all, there's you know, massive price increases over the last 18 months. So it's it's been a pretty challenging business climate. And like Brian said, now there's the other things that we'll be talking about on this show that are going to get layered on top. Um, you know, it, namely, it, it, I mean, it's it, 
the EPA thing, well, Brian can talk to that, uh, but the incentives for electrification are going to take an already fairly complicated sale and make it more complicated. Um, and so that may actually make things harder, not easier, which was, you know, the, the hope from it. So yeah, next year, um, I'm both excited and terrified. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be the general consensus in the industry. I, and, and it's great. Like they float out a lot of these, uh, you know, these concepts and what, you know, what they propose doing, but you know, what will actually happen. Uh, so I guess specifically let's, let's get into the, the clean air challenge a little bit. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, you know, real, realistically, it's a two page document, you know, for the most part. And, uh, you know, this, this document, uh, this, this is as prescriptive as it gets guys, right? This is what we got here. We got some footnotes and everything, but it's, it's not a super prescriptive document. And I think that's something, you know, Brian brought up in the pre-show. It's like, you know, it, I guess. So the first question is how would this affect, because it seems like it leans heavily towards the HVAC uh, service industry you know, the contractors and HVAC uh, companies doing a lot of this work, ventilation checks, doing, you know, maintaining filtration outside air, all that sounds great, but is that something even, you know, is that remotely feasible for the industry to do? Well, it's, so I don't have any resentment towards it, or I should say, I don't have much resentment towards it. I mean, everything's <laughs> sort of, I, I feel resentful about a lot of things right now, just because we're trying to serve our customers, but, but it's a good list, you know. It's it's got a lot of good stuff in the document. Um, one interesting thing right off the bat that that I I wonder about is that it's talking about clean air, so it just uses clean air. But really, what it's talking about is the microbial side, so like the viral side, the bacterial side. Um, but that, that's kind of a tricky one. So it doesn't talk about, at least not that I could see, with any significant uh, to any significant degree, it doesn't talk about humidity control. It doesn't talk about you know, the PM 2.5 side of this. Um, and it, it's talking a lot about sort of the dilution of that viral load and using, you know, upgraded filters, MERV 13 plus upgraded filtration and all that, which of course does deal with the particle side. But what happens a lot of times when we begin to talk about trying to reduce the, the microbes in a structure, we often focus on some of the wrong things from my perspective. Um, and I see that again, like we're talking about you know, doing some uh, of the UV, you know, kind of like sealing UV uh, uh, systems. And I, I think that's a perfectly good technology, but I, I often think that we focus in the wrong areas early on. And there's so many things that are fundamentally wrong with buildings um, that we, we do need to work on. And this document addresses that, but how can an AC technician really do that? You know, like they, they, they need to first know how to measure things and they don't because there actually often aren't tools that make it really easy to do so. It's getting better, but that that's actually kind of tricky sometimes. Like, how do you measure outdoor air? Everybody's got a different way. Most technicians don't have precision manometers on their trucks in order to do a pitot tube test. Most of them don't know how to do uh, a timed average or a, or a you know, log Chebyshev traverse with a uh, vein anemometer in order to measure outdoor airflow. And then and most times you don't have access to the outdoor, um, to, the, to where you're bringing the intake in sure. uh, easily without you know, a ladder or getting on a roof or whatever the case may be. So there's all these things that it's like we can say this and we can all agree of the, its importance of controlling uh, controlling outdoor air, bringing in outdoor air, that ventilation piece, the filtration piece, and the humidity control piece. Um, first off, this leaves out the humidity control piece because there's the argument we should increase humidity to reduce viruses, at least viruses like COVID. And then there's the argument yeah. we should decrease humidity for fungal, bacteria somewhere in between. And so we, we don't have answers to a lot of these things. And, and that's the problem when you use this really broad sweeping generalizations to try to solve big problems. 
IAQ is not a broad sweeping problem. It's a very, it's tailored to the building and the needs of that building and the fundamental challenges that exist with the building. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I totally concur with that. It's this, this, this document and this, uh, you know, clean air and buildings challenge is definitely a product of the pandemic, right? It's, it's definitely, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and it, it's tailored toward that. There's no question about it. That's really, you know, and I, I guess anticip anticipating that we will probably experience another event or a series of events like this in the future, which undoubtedly we probably will now. Um, so I think it's important, but you're right. They missed the boat. I mean, because it's not, it's not as simple as you can just come in and make a couple of tweaks and you fix everything and IAQ is solved. All right. You know, it's because it's, it's an all encompassing uh, issue. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know, to, to to the extent that it's expecting that the HVAC contracting community is going to fix these problems, or at least you know uh, triage them. Um, I don't know. You know, well, in the midst of a labor shortage, um, you know, let's let's add some extra time uh, to that sort of thing. Yeah, th this this is really challenging, and I I think uh, both of your objections are similar to ours, which are uh, that. When you try to do prescriptive stuff, it uh, oftentimes it ends up ignoring a lot of things. So like personally, I tend to kind of ignore the letter of the law on a whole lot of things, but I really try to adhere to the spirit of it. Um, so helping people understand the why and then what the potential what might be could be helpful. But in the course of normal service and uh, replacement, this, this is a kind of a tough thing to layer on top. Well, you know, and the other thing I think they've done here is they've, um, you know, if you look at some of these bullet points, especially in the creating the action plan, you know, it's like assess, uh, you know, assess if you need to manage direction of airflows and stuff. This is more like a, t a test and balance thing than than a typical HVAC contractor is going to be doing. So it's like they, they kind of convoluted a lot of this stuff together. And, you know, and then, I mean, it create, you know, doing regular inspections and maintenance and filter replacements and, you know, system upgrades that, okay, that's, that's certainly in the wheelhouse of the mechanical contractors, but they're, they're, they're putting an awful lot, lot there. And, you know, can the, I guess the next question is, can the HVAC industry provide a workforce to handle this work because that's kind of what this document's alluding to, right? It's it's kind of saying, you know, will the HVAC, you know, the HVAC workforce is going to be the one doing the IAQ issues? They're going to be the frontline soldiers. Joe Allen from from Harvard has actually stated that in as many words a bunch of times in presentations. I mean, what yeah. do you, you know? What do you think? Uh, sure. I mean, so the answer is, can you provide? Because these these are the questions that. I keep me up at night that I spend a lot of time talking in mastermind sessions and private conversations with folks. And that question always comes up is what are, what are we going to do about the skills gap? What are we going to do about the about the retiring um, technicians and replacing them with the next generation of techs? What are we going to do about the fact that we're already behind the eight ball in, in terms of skills in the labor market? The answer is, is that, yeah, yeah if you if tradespeople continue to be disrespected and treated like um, like they're a commodity, then, um, then sure, you're going to have a labor issue. If tradespeople are are treated as professionals who are respected, on the same ground as all of us and all the all the talking heads out there, all the people who write documents and and uh, have college degrees, as soon as they're treated with that same level of respect, are compensated um, for their uh, sweat and blood equity um, that they put into it, then yeah, you're going to get more of them. Um, but as it stands right now, this is the challenge that we all face. People always say, well, how can we get more people into the trade? It's like, how can we pay more? How can we pay people more in the trade? How can we how can we treat them with more respect in the trade? 
Um, and then people are kind of like, well, you know, the, just the market forces. It's like, right, exactly. And, and, and until those incentives begin to um, really incentivize the correct things rather than just creating this, you know, this echo chamber of conversation between people who really aren't doing it. I shouldn't say they're not doing anything about it, but they're not physically doing anything about it. Then these problems aren't going to be solved. And so I think it is, it's a value system problem um, that there are a lot more people who are beginning to work on. And I'm very hopeful. I'm not I'm not cynical about the long term outcomes, but that's the problem we got to solve for. It's not just like, all right, we need to hire more people. OK, you know, it's yeah. And, we're, and I'm competing against Target with what in terms of what I can pay. Um, so there, there's a, there's a challenge that the business models have to support that. And, you know, the, the second uh, initiative that we'll discuss in a little bit is the Inflation Reduction Act, which in theory does talk about getting wages up and in, in line where, you know, where they would need to be to actually incentivize these things. But, uh, yeah, that's a big problem, right? I mean, it, everybody's having a labor labor crunch, but, you know the marketplace doesn't really allow us, right? The competitiveness in the marketplace doesn't allow you to pay people significantly more money than they're getting paid now. Well, I'll jump in here. To, sure. to me, this is something we're trying to solve within the HVAC 2.0 program. Um, so we're, we're just about to roll out the free quote process, which at least educates people on the, the pieces that we're talking about, good filtration, dehumidification, humidification, outdoor air, load matching, uh, all of these pieces. Because uh, fundamentally, we also have an education problem amongst homeowners. So if we come in and talk to them, uh, particularly like at the sales call, they're, they're going to have their defenses up. So they need to be educated in a non-threatening manner um, and then also be offered the right options for doing these sorts of things. Um, and how much measurement needs to be involved in that? That's that's a good question, and that's a tough one. Um, uh, like, the, are we going to put air quality monitors in everyone's house? Probably not. Uh, Probably but we can not. at least offer yeah. things. You know, like uh, we used to, my, the standard system that we did with Energy Smart when we were doing all these projects was a MERV 11 filter. Um, and it, I did a webinar with RetroTech like four days after lockdown or a week after lockdown. I'm like, all right, it's not 11 anymore. It's 13 because we already had the research at that point that showed that that would catch things. Um, so great. We can do MERV 13 filters. They've gotten to where they don't have huge filter drops anymore. It's not really a problem as long as we put a big enough filter in the system. Um, so uh, we can do all of these things, but if we aren't educating clients and their understanding, seeing the value in it, and then being willing to pay more uh, for what those services are, it's going to be a challenge. Because uh, again, fundamentally, there's a limit to what you can pay technicians. And one of the best things we can do is uh, to increase ticket sizes so that we've got more margin to work with. We can pay them more. But the thing is, but increasing ticket size, you have to increase value too, obviously, right? I mean, <laughs> and that's really the key. It's not because... I think traditionally there, there's been this, and I'm not singling out the HVAC industry for this, but you know, to do add-on sales, if indoor air quality related, IAQ related add-on sales, and and the thought is, well, you can put you know UVC bulb in, or you can put you know an electronic yeah. air cleaner system. Or something. I mean, there, because there there's something that you know a tangible device they can sell. There's a price you can put it on, you know, add it in there, but that's not necessarily. You know, assessing what's actually happening in that client's space and, and providing, you know, exactly what they need. So it may I'm not, not be not solving sure the problem anyway. Yeah, um, it, might, it just... might possibly be making things worse, depending on the problem. Potentially. So, yeah. yeah. 
So and that's it. so we're talking a lot about um, residential, but this isn't just right. residential. You know, this in is in fact it's not the building challenge is more. I would say it's more. It's more so commercial, and commercial. Right. Yeah. right. And that's so a good example of this is kind of what I'm driving at here. Uh, at the Westford Symposium this year, they they talked about the changes that they made to the Westford Regency for the conference, and so they were talking about. You know, okay. Here's the here's the things we wanted to do. We wanted to put you know room air cleaners in. We wanted to have UV in the space. We wanted to uh, improve you know put in higher MERV filters. But then they talked about what they found when they actually went to the equipment to attempt to put higher MERV filters in there. And you find that like the filters that are even in there right now don't fit, and nobody knows the proper sizes. And even when you put the proper sizes in, there's gaps and cracks all around them. And then you put the higher MERV filters in. Well, now the blowers don't move the air that they're supposed to move. So now you have to do, you have to completely redo the test and balance, or you have to replace the motor. It's like this is this is the challenge: is that this isn't a simple thing. It isn't like, hey, take your MERV eights out and put MERV thirteens in. You know, most of these things or not, I shouldn't say most, but a good portion of them are in giant filter banks or they're in uh, rooftop units in these ill fitting spaces. And we, we often miss we often miss the trees because of the forest. You know, like this is a this is a problem that's made up of trees. This is a problem that's made up of tons of tiny little things. And this is what I always hammer with my technicians. It's like I don't care what filter you put in if it doesn't fit right. It, it, it doesn't matter if right, there's right. gaps so, and cracks around it. It doesn't matter what filter you put in. And and often people are paying for a lot of really expensive solutions that are doing very little when the actual problems could be solved by a little bit of being a master of the obvious. Uh, and that's kind of that's kind of the, the, the thing. Phrase. Uh, that's Jim Bergman's phrase, by the way, masters of okay, the obvious. He says that great, all the time. Great um, phrase. So, so that's, that's what we have to work on. And again, this, you know, this talks about, you know, this covers a lot of that stuff, mm-hmm. but, but it's not, it has to be in specificity and consumers, uh, whether those consumers are institutional, commercial, residential, they have to value those things because it still right. takes time. And right. it takes somebody who's really good at their job, spending the time in order to find all these obvious things and then, and then replace them and then come up with all the more advanced. Cause that's kind of my, my stance is that most of these things are either, fairly easy to fix and can be fixed pretty inexpensively or very expensive to yeah, fix and, not and require major renovations. There, there's very, I think there's very little middle ground there mm-hmm. um, because, you know, you get into that, what would the soft middle even be? It would be adding outdoor air to a, to a, some, a system that doesn't even have it. Well, that's not easy. You know, no. yeah, if it doesn't have an economizer and you can upgrade it with an economizer, maybe, but even that's not that inexpensive and it requires a lot of skill to set it up. So there, there, there doesn't, to me, there doesn't feel like a lot of soft metal. There's repairing issues that are obvious that should have always been fixed mm-hmm. and nobody ever solved it. And then there's major upgrades. So, I mean, do you think it makes, it, it, to me, it makes sense to go after the low lying fruit. I always do as an IQ investigator and consulting, you know, there's usually a plethora of issues happening in most situations where there's an indoor environmental issue. I mean, not always, sometimes it's a very cut and dry, but a lot of times it's a mix of things. So, I mean, I always recommend you go after the low lying fruit, the stuff that can readily be addressed, changed, corrected, and incrementally try to make improvement. Right. Is that, does that make sense in this aspect? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm suggesting. And that's what I'm saying. The problem is, is that when you read a document like this, you immediately think about um, upgrades you can do. For example, saying, 
put in MERV 13 filters. Everybody's like, it's, it's funny. I had Consumer Reports called me. Um, this is a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a side note, but it's, it, it applies. They called me to talk about air filtration. And I think they thought it was going to be a really simple thing. And I could just, I could just watch their brains <laughs> melting with frustration because they're like, we're trying to teach consumers what filter to put in. We don't want you to keep talking about pressure drops and, you know, and all this other stuff. And, and, that's the problem is that you can't just tell somebody what filter to put in. You can't just say put in a MERV 13 filter because that doesn't work unless you're somehow dealing with creating a, a, a deeper filter. So that way you keep the pressure drops the same or less. Those, those are the challenges that we face. And so as it, so my suggestion is this is really more of a, a training and accountability thing more than anything. And most of it, if we're talking about the commercial and institutional side, goes to those stationary engineers because they're the ones who usually jack everything up. Um, they, they go in and they disable everything or it doesn't have to be that way or they put the wrong filters in or, or whatever. And nobody's, nobody's training them and nobody's holding them right. accountable to make sure that it's done. Yes, it is the outside service providers. Those also need that training. Um, but, but this document doesn't do that. This document doesn't train on how to deal with ill-fitting fil Ill filters. It doesn't talk right. about um, what you do if, you're gonna, if you want to retrofit a system with outdoor air or with an economizer. Those are the things that I think we have to begin to specify out if we actually want to move the needle. We had a comment come in uh, over in the community that I just figured it would be worth putting up there. And this is at the homeowners, but you know, how, how, where or when do you uh, educate homeowners in a non-threatening way? But that's, I think the same question could be with commercial as well, because mm -hmm. if you're going in and telling, you know, the stationary engineer that, you know, you've done a piss poor job for a long time here, that's not, that's not going to, you know, that, that messaging doesn't really go over well with people, you know, nobody likes to be told they're doing a bad job. <laughs> Um, I mean, the, the answer there is before you arrive at the building, I think, uh, it would be that the home or the commercial building. So if you want someone to understand something that's going on, send them a piece of content before you go, uh, or have it on your website, um, and have it be or feel third party. Um, and you know, don't use scare tactics and so forth in there. Just be just the facts, ma'am. And and that happens a lot. I mean, the IQ industry again. Now going back to you know to 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 my industry, um, is notorious for doing that. You know for you know for puffing stuff up, sensationalizing stuff, trying to scare the bejesus out of people. I mean, honestly, you know you know toxic black, deadly toxic toxic black mold, and you know things like that. So so it's not like any sector in this industry has really been good at articulating in a reasonable you know educational mode. You know. You know, using empathy, you know, as opposed to using scare tactics. I, mean, I don't know how we get around that. We, we've got a question here. Uh, actually, Joe Madosh is in there. Hey, Joe Madosh. Uh, question from Joe Madosh. He was talking about just from a bit back when we were like having the testing done. How would we, uh, you know, what would a, what would a, an HVAC tech, if they were even had the diagnostic equipment to go out and start measuring the outside air and doing all this extra work, what would that even mean to them? Good luck with the interpretation on that. I mean, it's I've stared at an awful lot of these things. I, mean, I was one of the early people diving into the uh, the consumer grade uh, monitors and looking at things and seeing what happened and like asking my clients, "Do you open a window?" and they think I'm crazy uh, because I saw their their VOC spike all of a sudden. Um, that's that's a pretty major lift in and of itself to be a diagnostician for air quality. So it's a good question, Joe, and that's it's not a it's not a simple solution. Brian, would you agree? Uh, yeah, and so here's a short short speech. Okay, this is one of the most controversial things that I say to people like y'all, but I think it's worth it's worth saying. 
that our, our grandmothers gave us the best advice. They always did. And every time we start to measure stuff, every time we create policies and procedures and do different things, we come back to like, hey, guess what? Grandma actually had some really good points. Hey, you need to get some fresh air. You know, you need to drink. You need to drink plenty of water. You know, like that's that's a good idea. You need to, hey, go, go out and get some exercise. Right. A lot of this stuff, uh, it's, it feels musty in here. We need to open the windows. You know, it's just it's musty in here. It, 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 a lot of this stuff is fairly obvious. And yet we will say things like. Uh, prescription without, I mean, I think this may even be your thing, so I'm not mocking you, Nate, but, but you know, uh, prescription without uh, diagnosis is malpractice. Some version of that yeah. is said all the time. But but our grandmothers didn't, they didn't have measurement tools. They just had really good experiences that were fairly evident. And sometimes I think we get locked up and we say, well, I can't do anything unless I can measure. Well, guess what? In IAQ, we've been doing stuff without measuring this whole dang time. Because even if we can measure some stuff, it's a tiny, tiny subset. I mean, you look at the home chem study Mm -hmm. and what we learned from that. It's like, hey, guess what? There's all kinds of crap we can't measure and we're not measuring because it's too expensive to measure. And it's like the the, the outcomes are so like the more you look, the more you find. And you're like, oh, you know, what do we what do we do with all this? And but but if you look at spaces that have really good outcomes, we just know there's some basic things that they do really well. Right. It's not like super complicated. We don't have to be a rocket science scientist to know that if your air is going around the filter rather than through the filter, it's not getting filtered. Right. We don't have to be rocket scientists to know that if the media is more dense and the particles impact the media more, it's going to catch more stuff. We don't have to be rocket science to know the more dense it is, the harder it's going to be for the air to pass through it. Right. Right. And, and, and this is my this is my point. It's like, yes, we do. We need measurement for some of this stuff. Absolutely. But a lot of it, I think we're actually just wasting our time uh, rather than just being super practical and just saying, let's start there. Um, and as we get better at measuring, then let's measure things that are valuable. So, you know, PM 2.5, that's yeah, a pretty good thing to measure. Right. We know CO. Yeah, definitely. We need to make sure that people aren't going to die of carbon monoxide. That's a pretty good one. Things like carbon dioxide. Man, that's a tricky one to measure. You know, like I'd love to. It'd be helpful if we could accurately measure it all the time, but it's it's a tricky one. So well, it's maybe nice don't. You got to think of occupant density. There's a lot of other factors. It's not that CO2 meter, you know, by itself, it could look great. You could have great low CO2 readings because your occupant density is low, and it could be you, the building could be full of all types of off-gassing other chemicals, chemicals. And exactly. all kinds of yeah. stuff going on. And you think, oh, we got plenty of ventilation here, and, and in fact, you don't. Yeah. Right. But but even that is just the sensor technology and the calibration protocols for the sensors are much more challenging with CO2 sensors, at least the typical ones that we see um, off the shelf. So there's just so much to know with this. And when you're talking about translating this to a field worker who, by their very nature, is blue collar, they like solving hands on problems. They're good at all kinds of stuff that people who sit in offices all day aren't good at. Yep. And yet we criticize them for not being good at measuring and troubleshooting and all these things that are really complicated. But if we were given the same tools, we couldn't do it. And that's what that's to me what frustrates me. It's like, can we be a little bit more clear about what the things are that they really can do? And then if it's something that's a bigger problem, well, then we need to bring probably somebody in who's a specialist to be able to really uh, diagnose and troubleshoot that problem. I think expecting that out of your average AC technician, given all the other things we expect them to already measure and and do is getting a little absurd. Yeah, you're asking a fish to fly. Um, uh, so th- that's not what you're going to get. And there's, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, as, as much as we can all rail against being prescriptive, there's a lot of things that you kind of know that you should do anyway. Um, so like in doing all of that measurements, uh, with the, it was Fubots primarily we were using, um, the, the whole badass HVAC design came out of that, which is pretty simple. It's one system 
and uh, you've got a good filter on it. You've got a large drop or, you know, the, the plenum to the return is very large. You bring in a little outdoor air. We like systems that have reheat dehumidification. So you don't have to have a separate dehumidifier. So at least it's done with one piece of equipment. Um, and when you do those things, even if you can't do anything to control the air quality, because that's the other issue is until recently, um, you could know what was wrong with the air quality, but on the residential side, you really had no tool to be able to actually control it. So we found that if you just do these good things, you know, you've got humidification for climates that need it. You have dehumidification, you have fresh air, you have filtration, you have load matching equipment. Um, you're going to have good comfort and air quality as a default. Um, doesn't mean it won't get out of line sometimes, but we, we have a pretty good idea of the stuff that we need to do. And to your point, unless there's something wrong with the envelope, with the structure, and then then that's where you need to fix it, right? And that's the right. that's the other thing is so often we're like, the envelope matters, the envelope matters. I agree. Everybody who knows anything about this agrees, but but at AC Tech, like, come on, like we're getting a little bit unrealistic about what they're going to do. But that doesn't mean they can't do their part really well. It's just as unrealistic to tell somebody who does, you know, the insulation in the house to be responsible for the AC installation. Their job yep. is to do the insulation right. The AC technician's job is to do the, their system right. And if they, everybody does their piece right, you end up with a good house. Any one of those things break down, you're going to have a problem, even if exactly. you do everything else right. Um, but that should never – again, this was my perspective as a contractor, of course – I just that's not the HVAC contractor's responsibility. There's a few who may want to take that on, and that's great, but that, that's it's never going to be the norm. We're being unrealistic to think it would be. So, so then, who who is the steward of this? Who's the who's the you know who's the responsible party that's that's going to do the triage and, and going to oversee and make sure that all these different players put the pieces together right in the building? Well, it's it's funny, it, Brian. You and I will disagree on this one because I think it can be the HVAC contractor, but it's not the HVAC technician that's involved here. It's actually going to be more of the salesperson um, so that you can do the triage and understand how screwed up is the house, what what things do the people want to solve, what's their budget to do it, um, and begin to pull those together. Now, I'm just speaking residential. So, right. you know, uh, on the commercial side, that's, that's a whole other story. But uh, fundamentally, it would be something similar, I would think, as well. But that it gets muddy, too, because now you're mixing sales and diagnostics. Um, so you have to be kind of cautious how you structure that sort of thing. Well, building performance has done that forever though. I mean, you know, at, le at least in New York, right? I mean, the whole nice sort program does that. I mean, the, the, yeah, the sales, like, sales people that are doing the, the home energy audit. I mean, the, we, um, for better or worse. You have to be careful how you structure that because right. like there are free audits in New York now where uh, the contractor gets paid 250 bucks, right. but they need to be free to the homeowner. 250 bucks doesn't get you any good diagnostics. It gets no. you a sales pitch. That's all it gets you. Pretty much. Um, and, and a card, a card deck that you know, a slide deck that shows you why you need new windows. Uh, yeah, don't, right. Don't even yeah, get exactly. Me started on that. Everything. So yeah, it's it, it. There's there's also fundamentally a sales process problem underneath all sure. of this, and how do you make sure that that is uh, ethical and how it happens? Yeah, that's challenging. It was, we have a question uh, from the community. Let me pop that up here. Dave Lipton. Uh, many stakeholders. Actually, I, I, this is more of a comment, but many stakeholders who design, own, operate, maintain, and occupy buildings may have different goals that may be in conflict and, you know, and looking for quick, easy fix solutions. I think that's that's definitely yep. the case. So, so how, do, how do we address something like that? Well, that's, again, a triage problem and an education problem, which we need to get paid to do. This is not something that should be done for free. 
Yeah. And also like a lot of the questions that we end up asking is like, how, so how do we change human nature? You know, it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, like, so in, and this is kind of goes back to even the last thing that we were talking about. Um, when we look at things that we're going to try to do, because that's so much of what we're talking about here. We're saying, we're not saying about, we're not talking about how things are. We're talking about how we want things to be. You have to look at some examples of this happening in the past. And I would be very, I think you're going to have a hard time finding some really good ones of people who are both really good at sales, really good at communication, really good at diagnostics and troubleshooting, motivated by all the right things. You give them incentives. And this is just the case of how human nature works. You give somebody incentives, they're going to find a way to abuse that and turn it into a a perverse incentive, find the shortcut in order to get the thing, get the 250 bucks. In Florida, it's the, you know, it's the, this is the Florida energy code. I mean, it's, it's a joke. It's not a joke because the people who did it were well-meaning. They're people right. like us who are looking yeah. to solve a real problem. But the reason it's a joke is because the people who do it are like, how do I do this in the least expensive possible way to get the inspector to give me a permit? That's what all this is about. Just give me the dang permit. It isn't to say that there aren't incremental improvements that occur because of that. And I think that's the piece that we can kind of hang our hats on and be happy about is that when we have these conversations and we see things like the, you know, this, this new clean air initiative and, and others, they can make incremental changes towards something that's good. But but at the end of the day, there has to be business models where people make money and salespeople sell and troubleshooters troubleshoot and business owners run businesses. And that's how it works because people are motivated by what they're motivated by. And mm-hmm. us standing up there saying, you should be motivated by something different doesn't make doesn't them change, change who they are. Right. And so as far as business owners and, con- and the, the joke is about contractors, you know, it's like, how am I going to get a contractor to care about anything but money? It's like, you're going to get their, a consultant to care about anything but money. I mean, right, like on, be, be their real mother. Real. Like, I, I, you know, like, how do you know? Of course you can't. <laughs> they're, they're adults. You can't get people to care about things they don't care about. But yeah. you can begin to create structures and businesses and systems that start to just keep people in their lane. You know, like, yeah. for example, a, a construction superintendent shouldn't be making decisions about the IQ design of a structure or what ends up happening in that structure. They should stay in their lane about what a superintendent does. And that's, and, and that's just how it's going to work. That's how it will always work. So I'm going to shift gears now uh, and let's talk a little bit about the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act. And I know this is something that's near and dear to Nate. Nate's been uh, talking about this a lot and you're going to be uh, doing IP radio tomorrow, the whole show on it. Right. So so I'll I'll tee you up. Well, I, I don't know if I'd say near and dear, but uh, yeah. well, something something you spent some time looking at. How about that? Well, we we, we actually have no choice uh, in the HVAC industry to not be aware of what this is and, and begin to have a strategy for it. Um, so, uh, there's, there's actually three different programs that came through the IRA. Um, so there is the federal one. Oh, thank you. There's a slide. So this is the, the short, short version, if you will, this is one of like 30 slides that I have for tomorrow. Um, so there is the federal tax incentive, which that used to be a $1,500 cap, uh, lifetime cap. That is now $1,200 per year or $2,000 per year uh, for heat pumps or heat pump water heaters. And then I've also heard from a few people that it may be stackable, even though the language in it really doesn't sound that way. Um, And uh, important note in all this, we have no rules yet. So everything that I'm commenting here is from the bill. So we know nothing about what's actually going to happen. Um, In fact, uh, the IRS just asked like today for comments about how to structure the federal incentives. So, and it would be good if we all kind of get together and talk about what's, what's a good way to uh, structure these so they don't make our lives miserable in the future. Uh, 
So anyway, there's the federal uh, piece, and that does not appear to have a budget, and it's going to be here for a decade. Uh, so we, we need to get used to whatever that is and how we're going to use it. Um, then there are two state rebate programs. So one is called Hope for Homes, and that's actually like a 10-year-old bill that uh, uh, just came through. Um, you know, it got spun around enough that it, it passed finally. That has a $4.3 billion budget that gets split between the states. So the states are running all of this. Um, and that is either $2,000 or $4,000 for modeled energy savings or actual, which will be super interesting um, after the fact. Uh, so there's that. Then there's the second program, which is called the High Efficiency Electric Homes Program. And that's $4.5 billion. And that gets you up to $14,000 for various upgrades. Now, there are a lot of rules on this. The state programs have pretty strict income qualifications. So um, uh, if you are under 80% of um, uh, low to moderate income, so median income uh, for your area, you'll qualify for more money. Um, it's either a per higher percentage of the uh, uh, the job cost or uh, for multifamily, there's, there's bigger rebates for it. Um, or if you are between 80 and 150% of median income, uh, there's another thing, but if you are above that, you don't qualify for any of the state stuff as it's written. Now, one of the curses here is this is going to States. So we are going to get 50 different sets of rules. <laughs> Um, so there's nothing that I can say that will be true nationwide. So the federal maybe, and again, this is just from reading the bill. Um, and, uh, so a couple of pieces to note here, um, the state programs, you aren't allowed to double dip. If you use one, you can't use the other. And then the federal, um, uh, heat pump specific uh, rebate, which is $2,000 that requires, it says it, in the bill, it says the highest tier of CEE, um, coalition for energy efficiency, I believe. So it has to be highest tier, which is tier three, which is currently 18 SEER. Um, and you know, Brian and I both know 18 SEER when you get into three, four and five ton equipment is not an easy thing. So if you buy an 18 SEER class piece of equipment, it's actually going to be 16, maybe 17, 17 and a half, but it won't be 18. So we need to move into 20 SEER equipment in general to be able to do that. And that's oftentimes a two or $3,000 bump in equipment. So you're not really ahead of the so game. Your, yeah, your incentives are basically going to be chewed up by the fact that you're putting more expensive equipment in to achieve the incentive. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And I, it, some of the equipment's worth it, but a lot of it, I don't really think it is. Um, so, uh, it's going to be a challenge. My other big concern there too, is, uh, if we are moving to electrification, one thing we need to be super careful with going back to the air quality discussion is that if we size for heating, heat loads are in general about double cooling, depending where you are in the country. It's, it's a larger Delta between indoor and outdoor temperature. So you get a, a higher load. If you size a heat pump for heat load, it's pretty much for sure going to be oversized for cooling. And then we're running higher efficiency equipment, which tends to not be quite as good at dehumidification. Um, right. depends Short on the cycle equipment. And, yeah. yeah. Depends on the equipment. There's some exceptions, but um, it can be dangerous. So if we aren't careful here, we're going to end up making people sick. Um, I did a 
presentation for uh, the IAQ radio called uh, the coming mold explosion a few years ago, because we're seeing all kinds of weird stuff start to happen uh, between increased dew points and then increased efficiencies, increased uh, rainfall. There's all these things that are making moisture really challenging. So part of me is kind of nervous about using sear as the, uh, uh, the, the razor that we're, we're deciding where is this? There's a cliff there. And, and that's an issue, uh, anywhere it's not just you know obviously brian's down the orlando area so you know it's critical i mean you're you know a high you know the, the latent load down there you're dealing with so much humidity <laughs> Stupid, it's, yeah you, 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 a slight error is is a major error down there but but what you're describing here Nate, this is something that would happen anywhere right in any climate uh, well, east, coast. Equipment. east coast so okay um, mostly yeah okay yeah. Yeah. So, well, or Eastern side of the country. Um, so I didn't really understand dry climate until we took that camper trip a couple of years ago and it was a 70 degree day with a nine degree dew point. Um, in Cleveland, we don't see nine degree dew points until it's nine degrees. Um, so, uh, the, that messes with my mind how dry it can be. So there's some climates that it's not as big of a worry, but for a huge chunk of us population, if we're not careful here, we can make people sick. Well, and another issue, Joe Madosh put this in the in the comments. I'm rather than bring it across, I'll just read it. Uh, you know, again, heat pumps. You know, retrofitting with heat pump equipment, right? With existing ductwork, <laughs> there's a duct size issue too, right? I mean, this this yeah. is not. You don't just pull out a conventional furnace AC system and throw in a, a heat pump to an existing duct system and everything match up right. Correct, guys. I mean, <laughs> yeah, generally well, no. I mean. Uh, yeah. And, and I mean, well, I mean, so yeah, that's, that's why I always kind of caveat. It's like, it's funny when people say air conditioning, I immediately think heat pump because that's what I've always worked on. That's, that's my market in central Florida. But, but yeah, I mean, when you work in um, markets where you have these, you know, existing, you know, basement duct systems with very poor airflow to begin with, and now you just throw a heat pump in, that's a, that's a recipe for disaster, especially if you are trying to upsize uh, in order to try to, you know, catch a little bit of that heating load. Um, it's, it's tricky and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's like, you can't, you can't be prescriptive without being really clear about all the caveats. And with some of this stuff, there's, there's a lot of them. And again, this is the, this is the, the issue that I have with, I was trying to find the right word. We'll just say issue that I have with any of these sorts of things is that who does it benefit? And a lot would argue that, okay, it benefits the environment and it benefits, um, the consumer because they're getting some money back. And that's true so long as they're actually getting what they're paying for. But but the companies, the contractors that it benefits are contractors that are have a really strong sales arm um, that are really good at selling stuff and getting some, you know, getting some copy and grabbing it and going to the client and selling it. Right. Um, and those aren't the best contractors. Those are the contractors that are going to oversize stuff. They're the contractors who aren't going to change the ductwork. They're the contractors who aren't going to provide the whole solutions. And that's what is a lot of what happens in these things. And we've seen this with past incentives too. It just ends up, yeah, you get this influx of, of sales, but you don't really solve the root problems because that's not what's being incentivized. You're once again, incentivizing right. boxes and the numbers that are listed on the boxes. And we're getting to the point now where that's diminishing returns. Now, when you're talking about transitioning something from a furnace to a heat pump, which is a lot of what this is about, sure, that's that's better. But even that, I mean, Nate knows of all people because he's done a lot of these. That's There's stuff that has to be dealt with in order to do that properly. And the people best suited to do that are not the ones who are going to benefit most from federal incentives. 
Well, I mean, that's been a problem, you know, anytime we try to regulate a solution or an fix, right? Because politics, I mean, you can go to mold licensing, to everything in the indoor environmental industry. You know, it's like there's always a knee-jerk reaction. There's a political thing. There's some legislation passed. And, and I think mostly good intentions behind it. And there's there's usually, if they are prescript, prescriptive, they're usually not the right prescriptive measures, you know, because, because again, it's people are writing this legislation and approving this legislation that don't understand this stuff. And I, I've just seen this happen so many times. And I think this, this is a classic case. You've got some of, you know, because again, they're leaning on the white house, is leaning on guidance from a certain group of experts, you know, that they're, they're chosen experts and they're going to have certain opinions and, you know, everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's got an agenda, every organization, you know, every company, every, you know, right. I mean, so the no, thing is, I, and, and that's, that's human nature, back to what Brian said earlier. I mean, it is human nature, but. Yeah, uh, it's, it, yeah, you have to take that into account. But uh, yeah, I, I was actually somewhat frustrated this made it through um, because I can see so many different uh, sales process things. And one of my biggest recommendations would be having seen a bunch of programs through the years is don't build your sales process or your business model around this program uh, because the odds are decent that it will change in one way or another and then shift which way it goes. So that's a spell clip. I think this is a good segue to that yep. too. Yeah, that's a great thing to look at this. Uh, so Really, my, my biggest fear with this is if it isn't done well, we're going to provide very bad experiences for both contractors and homeowners. So that's what we don't want because that makes scale not happen. So uh, this is from Jeffrey Moore's Crossing the Chasm, which if you are in business at all, you really should read this book. It's, it's not a long one. It's a good one. It's simple. Um, but he talks about uh, technology adoption. When something new comes out, you start off with the technology enthusiasts at the beginning or the uh, innovators. And then the next piece are your early adopters in the orange. Um, and then if you don't create a whole product, you can't cross the chasm to the mainstream. Now, how this applies to uh, incentives in particular is typically uh, th these incentives never make it past that chasm. So you start getting a few people excited. You get your early adopters coming. The the first few people come through. Um, and this is me comparing, in theory, a, a, a typical efficiency program versus a market-based program. So early on, you're like, woohoo, look, we're, we're, we're winning. This is awesome. Look how good this is. Go to the next one, Bob. Um, but what happens is you take the incentives away after a while, and all that um, juice and uh, momentum that you got goes away. Uh, where if you had done it with a more market-based way of looking at it for fully converting the entire market, um, that could actually be useful. So like what we proposed, so, I mean, it's, I love Teddy Roosevelt's line of uh, complaining without proposing a solution is called whining. Um, so I do that I, a lot, but I, uh, yeah, yeah, it's me too, but I, I try and we try to put um, helpful things out there. So there's actually a piece of legislation with an idea that I proposed on Twitter a year and a half ago that's out. And basically it just suggests let's stop making air conditioners and start making all heat pumps so that everything at least becomes a hybrid moving forward, um, which would have been a, a much simpler way to do this and could have converted the whole market. But my big fear here is we're going to have a couple years of excitement, um, but then probably some mediocre results. And then uh, the incentives will go away, at least at the state level, um, and uh, demand will crash from that. Uh, and if we give enough people bad experiences, I mean, does anybody here have a bad review on their website? Like it, bad reviews I, get, I get rid, rid of, of those. I, I, we, we just erase those. 
Yeah, good, good. Really, so yeah, you figured that out. Best, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's called selective, uh, you know, uh, moderation. <laughs> but, but so, but I mean, so, you know, we've been talking about these two different things, the IRA, right, which is now it's legislation. So that that's 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 there. So that's going to yeah, happen in some way, shape or form. Yeah. You know, they have they haven't put out the specifics, but th this is coming. Uh, and then you've got the, you know, the clean air building challenge, which might be more aptly described as the challenge to having clean air in buildings, uh, because, you know, it doesn't it's not really prescriptive. It's got some ideas, but there's no, there's nothing that's forcing that to happen. It's just sort of like a blueprint, a very loose 10,000 foot blueprint of what could be done, you know, whereas the IRA is something that's going to happen. It's coming. Yeah. January 1st, we, we get the federal and sometime probably the middle of next year, the state programs will start coming through. Uh, but we, we can at least put some feedback in. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I'll send you the link, Bob, where okay. we can go make comments on the IRS site because they're looking for comments by November 4th. So if you have ideas for how to avoid some of these things, I mean, probably my, my biggest suggestion would be, even though it will end up spending a crap ton of our money, uh, would be to move it from a tier three requirement to a tier two, which would be 16 SEER. And all of a sudden uh, we get a whole lot more options and better things can happen. Um, so that's just one thought. So, I mean, I guess o overview, because we're, we're getting low on the clock here, because I knew this was going to happen. We're covering a lot of territory in a short time. Um, and to both of you, you know, how, I mean, what, if you're going to crystal ball it a little bit, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot, what, you, how do you see the market will be impacted in, you know, in 2023 and maybe 24 and beyond, uh, but by both of these initiatives and some of the other stuff that's in the works, or are, are these things still just pie in the sky that really are more puffery and not going to move the needle that much? Brian, what, what do you think on this? Do, do you see things changing? Uh, for, as far as clean air and buildings, um, I don't think it's going to change anything as it is. Now, let's mm -hmm. see what happens um, if they take a hard, harder stance against some of the products like PCOs or bipolar uh, needlepoint. Um, then that could change some things. And I think some of that might be coming. Um, we'll see. Uh, so, you know, that's that. No, I, nothing. Um, the other, yeah, it'll have the same impact that it's had in the past. Um, why wouldn't it? Uh, and the first thing that's going to be really, really fun is that we already can't get equipment. And now we're going to be incentivizing people to buy equipment, um, which is going to be awesome um, for the AC contractor. I'm joking. It's going to be horrible. <laughs> Um, it's because we, are, we, we are way behind. I mean, we can't, and this is commercial residential, it's across the board. I mean, there was a period where we just couldn't get three ton heat pumps, carrier heat pumps. We just couldn't get them uh, like, oh yeah, it's going to be a couple months, you know? Um, so it, it's, it's a nightmare. Um, as far as that goes, as far as product availability, let's say that somehow all of a sudden the products are available, uh, and we can get them. It's going to do the same thing that it did before, where you will get a lot of people who buy equipment. Um, good sales organizations will put out a lot of marketing about act now because it's going to go away or whatever, you know, and they'll get a lot of people to buy it. Um, and, uh, life goes on. It's the prices of this stuff is already going up so fast that it's not going to have like a massive consumer impact, at least from my perspective. Um, and again, I don't fully understand some of that. So like, what does that mean over 10 years? I'm not, I don't like, does that mean you get to take that credit every year for 10 years? I don't, I don't fully understand what that it's even means. It's one time and it's, it's actually time. only on yeah. your house. Um, for right. this. So you yeah. have to own it. So like we yes. have Airbnbs and yeah, I can't get that for those. 
Oh, yeah, it's going to be very similar to what it was before. And like we said, if it's pushing people into a higher tier, it's going to get eaten up. You'll sell a lot higher tier equipment, but that's the exact stuff we can't get right now. <laughs> right. Inverter drives and all that stuff. So it's like, okay, you know, uh, great. But it's a, another just tone deaf effort by people who write policies to do something that makes them feel good. And it sounds really nice at, at, at dinner parties where they you know talk about how sad the great unwashed are and how we're all so oh, sad and how can they help us right but you're no right. but that's you're right that's, no you're that's, right Brian. That's I, I totally agree with and, you. and they're I'm very sure. sad and and they have very sad conversations about the poor trades people and how their lives are so difficult and all that uh, but but at the end of the day to actually get in and really fundamentally understand and actually give people voice who are really struggling with this stuff yeah it's too messy right so instead let's just write something down Nate, we agree. Yeah, uh, like uh, so. Yeah, it's, uh, th th this probably wouldn't be a, a popular conversation on Energy Twitter, where I, I interact a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm just concerned. I'm like, this is going to be a pain in the butt, and I kind of wish it didn't exist. But we're going to have to deal with it. Okay, but, I mean, and again, I you know. Will it morph? I, I don't know. I, I mean, again, the, the the challenge is so is such a loose thing. It's you know, it's basically like you know a, a wish list blueprint is what that what that is. Whereas the you know the obviously the Inflation Reduction Act is legislation that's going going to come to pass. Um, so, it, without a doubt, there's going to be changes in the industry. Um, I'm going to give you each uh, you know like a final final say final point. You know, I'm, uh, I'm going to start with Brian and you know, Nate. I'll let you do the last one. Um, just you know, just thoughts overall and, uh, you know, your, your sage wisdom, because I do, I respect the input of both of you guys. You guys are both people that are out there, um, you know, working in the industry, but also out there educating the industry. And I think that's, that's enormous. You know, both of you, you know, kudos to both of you, you know, Brian, Brian, your podcast and your HVACR school, and it's, that's really phenomenal. And Nate, you've been, you know, writing and authoring and you're all over the place doing webinars and seminars. So, uh, anyway, so, uh, Brian, I'll give you a final shot here. Sure. I, I want to end by just saying that sometimes when I give those little diatribes um, or rants, people will think that I'm super cynical and I'm not. Um, the very same people who I just criticized are, are my friends in many cases. You know, like I'm not uh, I'm open to criticism on my faults. And I'm also going to criticize folks who I think sometimes don't do the things that they should do. Uh, and what I think we need to do is just give voice to the people who actually have to deal with the pain have to deal with the suffering of what's being put in place. Yes, we know that these things are going to happen and they always will, um, but maybe spend a little less time patting ourselves on the back about the progress we're making and realize that a lot of times this progress happens naturally anyway, because a lot of the people who are doing it actually do care about the right things. They're just very busy and it's very hard for them to find the time to address it. So I think just engaging with folks who actually do care, uh, who are on the front lines, that's what we need to do more of when we're writing these regulations. And then I think they'll be better than they are now. I definitely concur. So Nate, final words? Yeah, not final like, well, words, I, you know, it's final words for today for the show. <laughs> Nate's final words. I'm not gone for the day. Or go, <laughs> this is the end of my life now. Uh, but uh, I, I agree, Brian. Um, it's making sure that as a lot of these programs are being rolled out, that they are realistic. Uh, so uh, actually I'm in the middle of adding a, a little section to an international heat pump policy 
uh, paper where I'm suggesting just that, like make sure that business model is taken into account. Because if you just tell people to do something and you send them the training, they're going to ignore the training and they're not going to apply it. Um, uh, you, you need to make sure that you're taking those things into account and what the real world uh, boots on the ground situation is. So yeah, that, that is a key thing. And we, one last thing too, again, we do have an opportunity to put some feedback in. Um, is it time well spent? I can't guarantee it. Uh, but uh, if we at least make suggestions, uh, at least later, we can point back to that. So a topic that's uh, not going away soon. <laughs> we'll, we'll be talking about this more. In fact, on the 20th, uh, we have Bill Spone and I believe Joe Madosh is going to, we're, we're going to pull him out of the sidelines and bring him back. He used to be the co-host of the show uh, back many moons ago. And uh, we'll, we'll have a kind of a, a follow-up to this because I think, I think it is a, a discussion that warrants, uh, you know, a lot, a lot more looking at. Um, so yeah, that's where we're, unfortunately we've, we've spun up our time already. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I certainly appreciate, uh, both of you guys taking times out of your, what are undoubtedly very busy days. Um, again, if you're watching the show, um, on some other portal after the fact, because you may be on the healthy indoors online global community platform, or you may be looking at, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, any number of other places. Um, global.healthyindoors.com is the home base for this. There's an actual show page and, uh, you can get all the, all the back, uh, you know, all, all the back episodes, as well as all the back issues of Healthy Indoors magazine. So I want to thank both of our, our guests here, Brian Orr, Nate Adams, uh, for being on the show again today. And uh, hopefully we'll have you guys on. Well, Nate's going to, you're going to be on again too, Nate. Yeah, uh, 27th coming up. 27th. Yep. Yeah, why did I not say that? That's right. You're on the 27th. So we've you got. forgot. I did. Uh, I, I see how it is, Bob. I, I you know what? Because I don't have notes. I mean, I'll, I'll admit those notes weren't here. So I, I'm just, I'm like Ron Burgundy. You know, you can put anything in the teleprompter and I'll read it. Um, so, you know, not quite, but close to it. So anyway, um, I, that's our show for today. I, you know, we really appreciate uh, you guys being here. Uh, everybody coming on board and watching it. If you're watching it after the fact, again, you can go to the community and uh, comment after the fact. And we'll pass those on to both of our guests if there's uh, follow-up questions or comments or whatever. Um, so uh, I guess uh, without further ado... Um, We'll see you guys. Oh, next week. Yeah, I forgot about next week's show. Sharon Kramer, who has uh, been an advocate in the mold space for many, many years. Uh, she'll be our guest next week. Following week on the 20th, we've got Bill Spohn, Joe Medosh. And uh, on the 27th, uh, thanks thanks for pointing it out, Nate. Uh, Nate Adams will be back we be talking about other stuff, right? Or probably some of the same stuff. But um, So until next week and until next time, I'm Bob Krell, founder and publisher of Healthy Indoors. Stay healthy.